We want to welcome you to Spruce Grove Community Church. If you're visiting today for the first time, a special welcome to you. We're glad you're here. Uh, you might some, see some things that look a little different. We've got some flaggers up here and stuff today. But let me just tell you something. It's just people loving Jesus. And in this house, you've got a bunch of people who just love Jesus. And so we're glad everybody's here. Before we move on, we've got a little testimony. Gavin, come on up here. Anybody like hearing testimonies? Good. Here's a little testimony. Uh, so on Friday morning, uh, it was raining out, uh, pretty dismal out there, and um, we just finished morning prayer, probably about 11 a.m., and we're just, everyone's just kind of congregating out uh, on the foyer there. And, um, you know, we've been praying salvation for Spruce Grove, salvation for the region, you know, the common prayers we pray. And as we're sitting there, in walks in a guy, obviously homeless, wet, cold, He's got, like, medical gloves on for gloves. Like, he's just freezing. He's shivering. And we're all sitting right there. So it's as though the Lord has illuminated something here. He says, I'm going to bring them in. I'm going to bring them in. And are you prepared and are you ready? Are you ready? Because I've given you the Holy Spirit. And so literally there was a response. It elicits a response. And it could be a negative response or it can be, hey, I have salvation in my heart. I'm going to share this. And so, you know what? A couple of us went up there and just prayed for him, blessed him. You know what? Bought him lunch, gave him a coffee. And you know, and, and so, they, you know what? But that's one of. There's a wellness center here. There's people that are going to start coming on this land that know nothing about Jesus. And they're desperate and they're thirsty and they're hungry. And they're going to come into an interaction with us. They're not just coming just for one counseling session. They're going to come, and are we going to have oil in our lamps to say, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And so I just declare that, you know what, we can operate in the awkwardness. We can operate in that political correctness of this society because, you know what, there's no religion in us. He just says, go and give them a cup of water. Go. And he said, you know, in Isaiah... Isaiah 58 says, this is the fasting I require. Loose the chains. Visit the prisoners. Set them free. And he says, and the promise of that is, and you will be a well-watered garden in a sun-scorched land. And so you know what? That's what's coming our way. That's what's coming our way. And so, Lord, we just pray and declare there is no religion in our hearts there is no doctrine that's going to take us away from bringing that salvation to the souls who are hungry, thirsty, and wanting salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. His name is Brett. The fellow who came in, his name is Brett. I just want us to extend our hands because we're going to pray for Brett because he's out there somewhere right now. And God wants to touch him right now. So, Father God, we pray for Brett right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would touch this man. Father, that he would know that you love him, you see him, you want him, you care about him. And God, we pray for his soul, we pray for his healing, we pray for his family, we pray right now for life to fall upon him. In Jesus' name, and we say, Amen. You know what he was attracted to? The living water. Let me tell you something that's available to every single one of you this morning. That same living water is here in this place today if you want it. So, Father God, we come into this house today and we say we want that living water. We're going to come. We're going to worship you. We're going to seek you because you are a good God. And we know, Father God, as we seek you, you will not disappoint. So let's honor him today. Let's worship our king. You know what's happening right now is God is offering us something this morning. And I'm going to share a little bit later about what this is touching. But listen, we are not here because we have achieved anything personally. We're not here in church because we feel righteous enough. There is something that is being offered to us. There is a power. The grace of God is given for everyone who struggles with an evil thought. The grace of God is here to deliver everyone who suffers under depression. The grace of God, the power of God to lift you out of your circumstance is here 
for everyone who struggles with sin on whatever level. We're not here to pretend we're something and to hide what we're struggling with. We're here to drink deeply of the life of God, the only thing that could possibly change our life circumstance. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would unveil to us, unveil to us the power of this living water. Oh God, we we cry out today. We hunger and thirst. Come on, church. This... There are things to be touched by you. Even if you feel like you've had some success in your Christianity, even if you feel like you've come out of certain bondages and certain sin, this is more than appearance of having it together. The creation is waiting for a manifestation of a caliber of believer that resembles Jesus. And you can't do that, but the grace of God at work inside of you can accomplish a deliverance, a breakthrough, an unimaginable attainment of power in your life. Oh, God. Thank you. Thank you, God. Let's thank you. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you've given us. Thank you, God. You know, it's not wrong. It's not a manifestation of ingratitude to ask God for more. It's a manifestation of faith. Because He's glorified when we find what He hid. He hid it so that we could find it. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And it's the glory of kings to find it out. So distinguish yourselves as kings. Amen? Praise God. Well, um, we just came back from from uh, Cam Cam Hunter and I from Ireland. Just had a great trip. I don't know. Do you have a testimony to share before uh, before I? No, not offhand. All right. Well, then we'll just go ahead. Anyway, it's a great trip. I just can't wait to actually go with another team from Spruce Grove. Some great things happening there, but it sort of ties into what's happening all over the world. I think if I were to summarize what's happening all over the world, it would be simply in this, that the people of God are beginning to discover what God gave them. They're beginning to realize what was promised to them and what was available all along. And so I'm praying this morning, as I begin to share, and I may not explain things quite as well as you'd like, because my goal is not to make things clear for you. My goal is to impart faith. My goal is to get you to believe. And one of the big hang-ups of intellectual people is they want to understand before they commit to believe. And Jesus told them, because of that, you know, to the Pharisees particularly, because your quest is to understand You'll never understand because you have to believe first. So, Father, today I pray, Lord, that the, uh, the inhuman greatness of that which you've planted in us will come to life. Father, I pray that even, even the same way that the disciples on the road to Emmaus said, did not our hearts burn inside of us, Lord? That kinetic movement, that gyroscope activity of the Spirit of God at work inside of us, God, would begin to manifest in a way that would uh, surprise us. Father, in the name of Jesus. As I begin this morning, I've got a bunch of things wildly running around in my spirit because I feel like... The body of Christ globally is on the verge of seeing something they have never seen before. And again, as I said, it's already here. It's already been given. And in fact, you're going to see here as I look at a few passages that that the nature of this thing that God has provided was given to the initial believers. And uh, Paul's prayer is this. His prayer is simply this. My, my prayer for you guys, new believers in Ephesus, 
is that you would see what's inside you. You know, we've heard this before, these, these illustrations, like the guy, you know, who, who's lived a, his life as a pauper in a little rundown shack, and he had served this rich man, but the rich man died, and, and somebody was in his house, and the guy is dyslexic, he couldn't re- read or write, he was uneducated, and, and the person came into his house, and there framed on the wall was this, this thing, and he said, where'd you get this from? He said, well, my former master gave it to me before he died. And, uh, you know, so I, I've really treasured it because I loved him. He was, uh, he was like a son to me. And it was a check for several million dollars. Didn't know what it was. Was never able to, I mean, he treasured it. He valued it, but he didn't make use of it. And so what if between you and the optimum measure of what it means to be a son of God is a potential that's simply not realized, but it's there all the time. The Bible, and I, again, there's so many scriptures we're coming to make. The Bible talks in these superlative terms, you know, talks in absolutes. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Yet, yet, the testimony of the average believer is sort of this gingerly stumbling along with excruciating effort, sort of, you know, Barely getting our nose across the perceived finish line, and huh, I didn't die today. I didn't fully collapse. Yet, yet the promise is of an overwhelming victory. Yet what we do is we squeak out something just above defeat. And why is there such a gap between the biblical language which expresses this possibility? And the experience of the believer. What do you chalk that up to? Like, what's, what's responsible for that? How is it that the promise, you know, love never fails. Yet, you know, I'm, I'm a loving person, but we fail often, we say. It's not because we're not loving. Oh, love never fails. See, it's, it's absolute language. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Not occasionally, not sometimes, not if the conditions are right and the people of the world are willing. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Is there a few more of those kinds of promises ringing through your heart, those of you that occasionally read the Bible? The Bible is full of that superlative, absolute language of continuous, uninterrupted victory. Yet, the life of the average believer is struggle, 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 not death. Could it be that we're not making the most of what was given? Could it be that maybe we don't know what grace is. So I'm going to try and touch a couple of things. I'm angry in my spirit about the message, the false message of grace that delivers us into the hands of sin. And it's, it's a, a, a comfort drink rather than a power drink. See, grace is the power to overcome it's not the consolation thing that you get after you've failed and you got your butt handed to you in a spiritual battle. Right. Well, you know, can't win them all. Yes, you can. Amen. You can win them all. You were designed to win them all. God will win them all. So, what, you know, and I, I, I know people, people come here, they like, eh, why is it always our fault? <laughs> Because you are in a covenant with a perfect God. You are the weak link. (laughs) There's no going back from that. There's no argument. When there is failure, when there's something less than the promise, when there's something less than absolute convincing victory, overwhelming, overcoming expression, You did it wrong. 
And that's a part of the journey in itself, but that's a message for another time. But that's a tough part of the journey because it's very hard to look in the mirror and to say, I am the man. It was me. So, Father, thank you for your grace today. And I pray, Lord, that our eyes would be continuously opened in Jesus' name. We sang the song, it says, I will not be shaken. Right? And the story is, you know, the, the man who built his house on the rock. This house is impervious to destruction. That's the message. So when you build your house on the rock, whatever is built on the rock is impervious to destruction. Do you ever get discouraged? If you get discouraged, discouragement is a lack of courage. It's a vacuum of courage. That means your hope was built on something that didn't pass the grade, didn't make the, didn't make the grade. When you are discouraged, it's because you believed in something, you leaned on something, you made something your strength that couldn't do it. Now, this gets a little muddy after a little while because the reality is you've got two things that work inside of you. You've got the, what, what, what Romans calls the law uh, of the, the principle of the law of life. And you've got the, the law of sin and death. You know where they're at work? In the cosmos. Yes, yes, yes. They're at work inside of you. And so Paul says, listen, I've got two things working in me. Well, which determines which one engages? The one you trust. The one you actually really in your heart believe in. And it's either grace or human effort. And the message of your journey is human effort always fails. And do you know where the word grace comes from? Biblically? In the Greek, it's the word charis. I have a daughter named Tiffany Charis. Tiffany, which is related to epiphany, which means manifestation. So, manifestation of charis. Grace is the word charis. Interestingly enough, it's from the place where we get charismata. Charisma comes from that same root. Charismatic, the charismatic movement, was an awakening into the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are provided by the root power of the word, which is charis, the grace of God. The grace of God is the empowering of God. It is a substance that the world has no response for. And so, again, it's a battle of, are you going to believe the evidence or believe yourself? Oh, I have the grace of God. I have a power that overcomes the world. Oh, setback. I didn't do anything wrong. Wasn't me. That devil is stronger than I thought. Oh, I'd never say that, but it's a way of escaping our own culpability. So, let me read a scripture here. Are you with me? Yeah. Hallelujah. I hope this makes sense. I'm, I'm trying. Well, as long as you're trying, Mark. So Paul is, and I, I know I've, I've read this to you before, but I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1 because I keep coming back to it because it is central to our walk, central to the journey. Because you can think of your journey, oh, I want to become a better dad. I want to, I want to learn to overcome pornography. I want to, you know, be uh, a, good, a good husband. I want to grow my business. I want to be godly. I want to evangelize. I want to go on mission trips. I want to, you know, you can, you can lay out the grid of your hopes and dreams and aspirations in so many ways. Yet Paul says, listen, what I'm praying for here is the core of your existence as a believer. And that while there's many ways to tr- track Christian success in terms of, oh, you know, you're sinning less, you're going to church more, you're worshiping with more of your heart. Oh, look, you're lifting your hands now. Oh, you're praying in tongues and you weren't before. Oh, you're actually, you know, you're, you're evangelizing. You're, those are great ways to track things. But there is one more core way that, at least apostolically, the way the apostles thought. That'd probably be a good way to start, eh? So he says this, he says in verse 16, therefore, 15, sorry, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus 
and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Now again, I, I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to revisit the whole thing, even though I'd love to, because this, this is, you know, this is like a hamburger. If you love hamburgers, you can eat one every day. Anybody like cereal here? Some of my kids, cereal every day. Like, doesn't they ever get old? No, love cereal. Well, this truth here is like cereal. Even though you're a believer, even though you're born again, even though you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, even though your eternal destination is secure in Christ, Paul is praying that there should be this increase in a spirit of revelation. He says, I'm praying that you'll get this. Well, I already have that, Paul. No need to pray that way. Thanks. No, of course they didn't write that back because what he's talking about is one measure of it to another measure to another measure to another measure. Yes. And that's where we get the language that your journey is going from glory to glory. Yes. If you get born again, you've been touched with the glory. When you get touched, you know, on another level, it's glorious again. Yes. You know, but it's like, it's like, we can't imagine another glory higher than the glory we've experienced. Because you can only imagine, well, like that, well, that's one, but better. That's just language. So, this is what's available. He said, listen, I'm praying for this for you, new Christian believers of Ephesus, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know the hope of your call. Well, you know, I got all this sin in my life. I got all these things. But hey, you know, but I love God. But I, I want to be better. Well, that's a great sentimental thought. But he said, listen, it's not enough to want to be better. What if you could be better? What if the destiny, what if the hope of your calling was rising above every human struggle? What if that was really what this was about from day one? Not this, yeah, you're horrible, but God loves you. Yeah, you failed again, but God still loves you. He hasn't cast you away. I mean, that, and that's true. And that's a great backdrop when in discouragement and defeat here, you think, no, I'm, I'm ready to be cast on the fire and burned and I'm no good for anything. That's a great, you know, this far, no further. That's great. Don't go back any further than this. But that's not the measure of our hope. The hope of our calling is so much, that's just... That, you just can't go any lower than that. But that's not where you're meant to live. The spirit of revelation that gives to you the hope of your calling says this is the potential of what is what, what you've been given already. So he said, I am praying for you that what you have, you begin to discover. It's kind of like a, an amazing program. Photoshop. You know... You've just, you barely use the paint tool. It's like, you know, it can do more than that. What? Really? <laughs> oh, yeah, way more. You mean there's, I can do yellow as well? No, 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 way more. Right? I mean, that's, that's us. We are like school children. Start to play with a little paint program. Photoshop is available to us. And that's the power of the programming that we have. Sure. That times a million. More or less. <laughs> so, well, you think, well, well, how come we haven't realized this? Who's going to realize this? Like, who's going to tap into the full potential of this thing? That's what the promise is about. That's what the generation of Jacob is. It talks about the Psalms. That's what Romans 8 is about. Romans 7, you know, there's two laws at work in you, but listen, there's a generation coming that are going to fully exploit what is in them, and creation is looking and waiting for the appearing of that generation. Because when that generation appears, 
creation itself will be delivered. Amen. That's the, that's the global plan. So you're in there somewhere. You know, a lesser version of that. But, you know, we're... I mean, it's like, oh, every generation thought they were going to be the generation. I'm not talking about, you know, claiming we're going to be in the rapture or Jesus is going to come back in our day. That may be, I hope so. But more than that, I just want the next level yeah. of the thing that we would promise yeah. so that the next generation yeah. could be sitting higher yeah. Yeah. than we sit. Yeah. 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 And so if you're sitting here today and you're languishing in the shadow of sin and depression and, and you're know, barely getting by and you, you, you dislike people and you don't trust people and you're easily wounded and offended and, and, and you're, you're caught up in pornography and sin and, and you've got these things in your life you think, you know, I, I just... I just I'm just barely fighting to hold on to the hope that I can make it to heaven. I want to tell you, you're living way below the promise. And what you need is not, not you know, hey, bad person. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is what you need to see is the hope of your calling. You need to see that there's power that was given to you to, to not just rise marginally above that mark, but to literally, like a rocket, take off from it into something incomprehensible. Yeah. That's the power at work in you. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this is what the Apostle Paul is really saying. Let me keep reading. It's a great verse, right? It's like, yeah, I can read it again sometime. So, I'm praying that you know what are the, what are the riches of His glory in the the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It gets better. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Man, can you get more superlative words in there? You know, I mean, this is pretty grandiose language. I want you to understand. You need to, you need to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above, this is great, far above principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he's put all things under his feet. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Gave him to be head over all things, which is his body, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, in the same book, there's two other passages, and I, I, uh, I, I can't find them right now. But one of them is this: is that we are seated in heavenly places. Yeah. We are seated in heavenly places. Now, that's like everything that we get as believers, we get it by faith. In other words, we don't claim it legally. Well, you know, the Bible says I have this. No, the Bible says you can have this. Right. The evidence that you have it is that it's evident in your life. You know, so I was in a meeting one time, and uh, I was going to preach on this. I just met uh, a, a global prophetic leader, and, and he spent three days with him, and and uh, anyway, I was I was hoping he'd come to, to this meeting with me, but he, he didn't want to come, so I had to preach. But I remember he, he said something to me when I went to this meeting, about this meeting. When I went to this meeting, I began to preach on this, this idea that there's a disparity between what we're called to, how the scripture defines our victory, and what we're actually living. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying, listen, the, the cause of this, this is not an imaginary gap, it's a real gap. You're called to look like this, you look like this. And so I say, you know, the Bible says we are seated in heavenly places. But let me, let me say, tell you something about the Bible. Sometimes when things are stated, it's what's promised and not what's realized. 
It's like in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, when uh, Paul and his, his team, which is Paul, Luke, and some others that went with him, he says, we have the mind of Christ. And so everyone said, yeah, I have the mind of Christ. No, that's not what he said. He said, we have the mind of Christ. He was actually rebuking people who, who were living down here, saying, we have the mind of Christ. Actually talking about himself and his team, saying, but you, you don't. You're actually living way below the mark. In fact, he said, he said you're living like mere men. Right. Well, that's what it is. <laughs> no, you're not. Amen. You're not mere Amen. men. Amen. And if you excuse yourself from this amazing victory because you're just flesh and blood, you're missing it. Ephesians 2 6. What does Ephesians 2 6 say? Oh, yeah. Ephesians 2 6. That's the heavenly. See the heavenly place with him. Yeah, it's, it's part of this if you go on. <sighs> now, what's, what's your objective here, Pastor Mark? You know, are you trying to convince us that we're not making it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but more importantly, what I'm trying to convince you of is it's not a question of effort. Right, yeah. It's a question of faith. Right, yes. It's not a question of trying harder. Right. It's a question of believing what is responsible for the victory. Because, because the nature of belief is faith allows you to tap into the power of a thing. And when you believe, when you trust yourself, when you think you've got to do it, you're tapping into human strength. And the whole dichotomy of that biblical picture about two sisters in the Old Testament. You have two sisters and you're drinking from this dirty, broken down one. And you've been given a cistern of clear water. Rich, life-giving water. And you keep going back and drinking out of this one. Well, that picture is not just given because the Israelites weren't perfect and they really struggled with a lot of things, a bunch of losers. That picture is given so that you can have an example of what your journey is about. When you don't, when you aren't perfect, so I need to try harder. No. No, that's not the key. The key is you need to tap into something. Yes. Yes. Because the ability to try harder either can come by grace or by guilt. Yeah. So it's not a question of effort. Effort comes from a variety of different impulses. Mm -hmm. Right? Have you noticed that? Yeah. Yeah. There's effort that comes from joy. There's effort that comes from celebration. There's effort that comes out of love. There's effort that comes, out of, you know, right? How hard was it to drive across the city to visit your girlfriend when you were madly in love at 18 years old? Hop in the car, drive across the city 20 minutes just for five minutes with my, my wannabe? Absolutely, no problem. 20 years of marriage? Fine. Uh, you'll be okay. It's just a small car accident. I'm in my pajamas. Effort is not the issue. It's the catalyst for effort that is the issue. And there's a catalyst for effort that's in the knowledge of God. Yeah. In the discovery that when you became born again, God put something inside of you. Yeah. Inconceivable levels of power are inside of you. And the Holy Spirit is given to begin to source that power out. That you would discover it. And the way you discover it Why, what, why, why, why humility? I don't know. That's just what the Bible says. God gives grace to the humble. So he says that inconceivable power at work inside of you is opened up for the humble, but closed to the proud. So what the proud end up doing, it's like, I can do this. No, you can't. He's like, yeah, you can't. Full of desire. I have great passion for you. No, these all may forsake you, Lord, but not me, says Peter. I'm better than that. Okay. 
For points of illustration, let's watch the life of Peter. <laughs> I can do it. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Okay, go ahead. Try. <laughs> that pattern is your life. But the thing is, we don't know when we're tapping into self and we're tapping into life. Right. We don't know. How do you know? The one that overcomes the world, it is, it, you tap into life. The one that results in meager efforts, meager results, quasi-failure, that's you. Him, you. With him, without him. Yeah. With him, without him. Well, movie analogy. So we're not wasting time when we're saying to Christians, listen, there's more. This whole journey is realizing that there's 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 stuff available. Yes. Yeah. Say, wow, that's great. Thanks for that reminder. Just tells me what I'm not doing again. <laughs> the humble, the proud. God gives grace to the humble. Yeah. Now, I want to read, uh, and I'm going to start moving towards a, a finale. I was thinking about this this morning, and I was, uh, I'll just shift this just a little bit. So I feel the body of Christ globally, and if you're, you're watching on the live stream, the body of Christ globally is coming into a manifestation of great grace. Yeah. Great grace is coming to the body of Christ. An understanding of that which has always been available to us is about to overtake a generation. Now, there are two men in the Old Testament, Saul and David. I was thinking about this this morning in the context of this. And hopefully I can make some sense of it. But Saul was an insecure man who leaned on the arm of the flesh. David was a man after God's own heart. Despite the fact that he had arguably as much failure in his life, he kept coming back to dependency on God. He kept coming back to a position of repentance. It wasn't that he had, you know, just this perfect record. Right. He didn't have a perfect record. But at the end of the day, he, was, he always came back to worshiping God and honoring God. See, the proud can't do that. The proud is looking for accomplishments that they can receive credit for. And so it creates two different types of people. And I just want to isolate for a second the results of the life of David and the results of the life of Saul. Because, because I believe grace, the grace that's coming, is going to do something for us. And I'm, you know, pray for me right now that I make this clear to you. But there's two scriptures. The first is 1 Samuel 24 or 1452. And the second one is 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2. Uh, let me read the, the David one. Now, 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2, it says this. Now, uh, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Abdullah. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontent gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. I want you to get this picture. David's ministry life was char characterized by this, that the worst of the worst were gathered unto, the, to, unto him. People in debt, people losing in the, in the game of life, people who were frustrated, people who were struggling with whatever. And they came to him, and it, they became David's mighty men. Yeah. I mean, these mighty men... I mean, colossal tales of military uh, might and acts of bravery and, and the establishing of the golden age of Israel came through the life of these. And it began with losers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, losers with potential. 
by losers, people who were not making it. You have to know that whenever there's a breed of people who are escaping society and finding refuge in the cracks and in the, in the shadows, there's others who are shining brightly and succeeding in, in the status quo. So David wasn't drawing the people who were, you know, on top and rising. <laughs> he was drawing from the ones who were to be pitied, the ones who were not cutting it, the ones whose moments were shaking their head. I don't know how it happened to my son Abdul. <laughs> now look at Samuel. I mean, uh, Saul in Samuel 14, verse 52, 1 Samuel. It says, Now there was a fierce war with the Philistine all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any man, any strong man, or any valiant man, he took him to himself. You gotta get the picture here. The empire of Saul was built on gleaning the strong. The empire of David was built on gleaning the weak. Why is this important? Because there's a kind of a gospel out there, a gospel of false grace, a gospel of human potential, a gospel of, of, of humanism, really, that appeals, that gives hope to the strong. It gives hope to those who are extremely gifted. It gives hope to those who can dig deep down, try harder, and get it done. Now that gospel will not make everybody successful. You have to be of a certain brand already. You have to have a certain capacity in your life. What Jesus demonstrated and what David demonstrated is that there was something at work in the life of David that took people from the least places and made them not only better, not only did it get them past the disappointment of their scurvy little lives, but made them champions of faith. There is a grace coming. See, there's, a, there's this thing in the church where we want to always surround ourselves with the people that can, you know, people of promise, people of strength, people of, you know, see somebody successful, oh, go get up against him and let some of that rub off of me. Well, the kingdom of God is a gospel. There's a gospel, there's a message that can take the least of the least of the least and transform them into spiritual pillars. Now, one of these systems really glorifies God. The other one celebrates humanity. Which one do you think we're after? That's obvious, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have to spell this out. So what do we do now? What do we do about that? How do we change where we're at right now? What does that mean for us? It means what I challenge us with virtually every week. There's more. Yeah. And, and while life teaches you don't get your hopes too high because you get disappointed, you know, you've been through this before, you know, don't trust anybody, keep, you know, there are elements available in the grace of God that allow you to risk, to face the prospect of disappointment, to actually to face and walk with people who are broken, who are unfaithful, who are not dependable. And there's a, there's a grace in your life that can change them in the same way that the grace of God in the life of David made champions of yes. losers. Yes. And the litmus test that the gospel we have is the pure gospel is that it doesn't take the really together people and makes them even more together. I look at that. You took that person from level 50. Now, the grace of God takes people from zero to a hundred. Yeah, yeah, the grace of God takes people from zero to a hundred. And when the journey that we're in is a journey of discovery where God is saying, listen, there's a power, there's a grace, there's a gospel 
that when it's preached, when it's delivered, when it's absorbed into a people, takes anybody from zero to a hundred. It takes the prostitute. It takes the drug addict. It takes the one who's addicted to pornography. It takes the weaselly coward and turns them into giants of faith and courage. Anybody, but it's because, not because I have done this, but because there's something, Paul says, listen, there's something at work inside of me. And I've been able to work harder than anybody else. But not me, but this power. This power is inside me. You know, people come up to him and say, so what, what, what is it about you? You're insatiable. You've crisscrossed the whole world. You've written three quarters of the Bible. You, you're, you're going out to the palace. You're going into the Caesar's household. You're going, I mean, your gospel is turning the world upside down. Like, isn't it enough for you? It's not me. It's something at work in me. That cannot be stopped. That's the testimony of grace. That's what's available. And so we're on a trajectory now as part of one generation that leads to another. And we're coming to a generation that taps into the fullness. What if, what if when they come to arrest us, we can walk through walls? Yeah. Yeah. What if when they try to kill you, you disappear? Yes. What if you can become invisible? What do you think the, all these X-Men movies and the, all these things are really about? They're a prophetic foreshadowing by the, on the part of people who don't know the hope of the promise, but who feel something coming. And the only way they can twist it is in the way of science fiction movies, but there's a hope in the air. When God speaks a prophetic reality, He breathes it into all creation, and the earth reverberates with the knowledge. But what they're taught, what they're doing in X Men Two and all of these, you know, the Superman movie, that is not the version that's coming. It's a people born of God, yeah. Yeah. who don't walk like mere men, who tapped in to healing signs and wonders, resurrections from the dead, insatiable appetites for God, zeal that will send them around the world. Faith that will deliver them from the mouths of lions. This is your destiny. This is the hope of your call. And God, what He's offering us is how far you want to go with us. Do you want to just, okay, death was on my heels my whole life, but I didn't get me. Or is there something else? I don't know why we live in the shadow of, you know, always near failure. Maybe near failures biting at our heels to propel us and lean into just a, more, a little more of this. And a little more of this. And just a little more of this. Father, I pray today, and I'm going to close with this. I pray today, again as I prayed before, the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of you. God would open up our eyes and show us, show us the magnitude of what you have given us. Yeah. Let me read you this last part. And I'll, anyway, I'll close with this. Chapter 2. We read verse 6 earlier referred to it. But here, chapter 4, verse 4 of chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, in sin, he quickened us, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. To what end? Listen to this. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. You've received grace that you will only discover the fullness of in the ages to come. 
millennium after millennium after millennium will it take to unfold the full extent of what you have right now. So the next time when I say there's more, don't roll your eyes. Don't start thinking about, I should go to another church where they celebrate me. <laughs> Get you some of that. Get you some of this. Yeah. Praise the Lord, Team Cup. We're not going to do a whole bunch, but they're just going to play for a minute or two. Then it's okay. Um, we're not going to do an altar call or anything like that. Uh, but I just, uh, you know, we want to open the altars if you do want prayer. And uh, I'm going to be in the back because I want to be meeting some of the new people today and handing out some of these cards to invite those of you to the uh, the new barbecue coming up. But so, you know, maybe if Gab and uh, Drew and some others, Cam and others, if you could just be available. If you need prayer, we, we don't want you to, to run out of here not being prayed for. We want to make sure you get prayed for, right? Because we know that you could be in this place today, and maybe you're in that spot where it's just been a bad day, it's been a bad week, and I hear what Pastor Mark's saying, but I need some prayer, too. And so just feel the freedom to come up here and just to receive that prayer as the service ends. But, uh, you know, I had a, a, a scripture I wanted to read at the beginning, and I didn't. But I want to read it now before you go home. And it's in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I think we're all familiar with it. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. And our desire is this, that in all of our ways that we would acknowledge Him as King. And then everything starts to change. Because that's who He is. And so let's just join with that. I'm just going to pray it close, but that, that's not hard right now. So, Father God, we want to acknowledge you in all of our ways. Because it's all about you. And the answer to every problem, every issue, everything going on, all the discouragements, the depressions, all this stuff, it's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's you. And we are going to seek you. We are going to chase after you. We are going to find you because you are so good. And we know that as we draw closer to you, you will draw close to us. And this morning, and if, if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, this is that moment for you that it is not fluke that you are here today. We believe he brought you here on purpose. And at this moment, I believe he just wants to tell you that he loves you. And that he wants you to come into his kingdom. So, Father God, I do pray that for anybody in this room who doesn't know you, that today would be the day they say, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior. Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior. That's all you have to do. So we want to dismiss you. Thank you for being here. But again, if you need prayer, come on up. If you want to stay and sing for a little bit here, I'm sure that's got a good one. Just sit in the presence of God. But again, if you're new today and you're visiting, please come and see me out before you. I'm going to be out there and be handing out these cards. But bless you. Greet one another, love one another, be the body of